0: about good news. We told them that Jesus
1: loved them, that Jesus was fighting for them, that they can have their sins forgiven, that they can be a new creation, that everything that was done to them and everything that they have done, they can find forgiveness and healing, and they could be made new, and they could be a made person, and they can get a second chance at life. It was a really great time. It was awesome. The Holy Spirit worked in miraculous ways. And I believe that, if I recall, I remember, I want to say conservatively, it was about five or six uh, junior high girls came to faith in Jesus Christ that week. Now, that was really cool, through the ministry that Bruce and Rosella is doing. But I don't know if I, I told you that Liz and I actually had a very hard time that week busting through the racial barrier. Because every time I went up, every day, I, I, here's what happened. I would speak from Sunday all the way to net the following Sunday two times a day. And I shared with them the good news of Jesus about how God was for them. But all they saw when they looked at Liz or myself or James was the color of our skin. They couldn't get past it. It didn't matter how hard we encouraged them all they saw was a white guy with his white wife who had their lives put together, who were people of money, who didn't have problems, and so they couldn't possibly know what it was like to live life for them. And because of that, I just felt like it was really hard to get the message of Jesus Christ across through. And through the whole week, I was praying and asking God, how can I tell them about Jesus when all they see is my skin color. How can I break through? How can I do that? Maybe I'm not the right person to be sharing the message of Jesus Christ with them because all they see is how good life is for us and how we don't have any problems. It was a question that I was very happy to see God bust through during the course of the week, but I'm wondering how many of you have been wondering the same thing in recent years. I'm not sure, I don't, I don't really have to make the argument, but the, that the, these past few years, we've seen our fair share of division, haven't we? Right? There was George Floyd, there was Chad, the residential schools, and the host of myriad, uh, myriad of other racial and cultural divisions that have plagued us for a very long time. And it begs the question, how do we build a church family in an era where the West is deeply divided by race and culture? It doesn't necessarily have to be race and culture, though. It can be many things. Take COVID, for example. I was just having lunch with Kelly Steffen, who trains uh, new pastors of Prairie And he quoted me a statistic that just came out this month. Believe it or not, 40% of all pastors currently pastoring in both Canada and the United States are thinking of leaving their churches because their churches are still fighting over COVID. 40%. That's huge. We need an answer to the question of how do we build an authentic church family, and how do we love each other, and how do we share Jesus when there are so many cultural and ethnic divides between us. Proverbs 14.12 says that there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end leads to death. And in our era, I think that our best answer to the issue of racism is to actually idolize it. Humanity's best answer to racial and cultural division is to idolize it. And that's important because um, as you and I tackle the issue of ethical and, or ethnic and cultural divides in the church, it's important to know that this issue can actually idolize the gospel or change the gospel. You want to hit the next slide for me? What did I say exactly here? Idolizing culture and race. Leads to changing the message of Jesus, and it can do so in two very different ways. The first is is that we can force people into our cultural norms before we give them the message of Jesus. So this would have been something that you've seen in the Book of Acts. If you recall, in the Book of Acts, there's the story where Peter has a vision where a blanket comes down with all these foods. Uh, And they were all unclean, and God says, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says, certainly not, Lord, I won't need anything unclean. And then God says to him, don't say that anything I've made is unclean. Later in the story, a Gentile, a non-Jew, invites Peter over to his house to hear the gospel, which would have been something that Peter would not have done culturally, because Jews do not associate with Gentiles. And so the very first thing that we can do is that our culture can for if we idolize culture, we can force people to become like our culture before we give them the message of Jesus Christ, and that's not the way it works. The second thing is how we idolize culture is culture would then define Jesus rather than Jesus defining culture. And I'm a little bit worried about this one because I do see this happening. You see, the, there's a little bit of a change-up happening in our times right now. Do you, how many of you are familiar with the idea that um, the word tolerance has changed, the defini- changed definitions lately? Yeah. Tolerance used to mean that you respected someone that you deeply d- disagreed with. Today, it means that you will accept and agree with a different opinion. And in the same way, we see a different definition of racism occur today. Racism used to mean that you would, uh, I think I got it on the next slide there. Uh, Racism used to mean that you were, uh, you discredited someone or disown someone, or demean, or stereotype someone for no other reason than their race or ethnicity. And today what we're finding is that there is a new cultural definition of racism which says this, it's the sin of the powerful, the sin of the overlord. They think that racism is the sum total of prejudice plus power. In the first definition, it is possible for every human being and every individual to struggle with being racially divided at times. In the new definition, only the powerful are racist. If this is the case, I'm very worried about it because what winds up happening is then that begins to warp the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You recall, I, I don't know if you heard the story a couple... Uh, I think it was about a month ago, Franklin Graham made headlines on the news because he defended the idea that Jesus was a man. Because there was a teaching going around in churches in his area that because of the virgin birth, he was not that so. Why? Because in order for the gospel to make sense, in order for Jesus to make sense, you've got to change it to fit your narrative. And I'm afraid that what is happening now is this new definition of racism is also defining, redefining what it means to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is why I've been actually sharing and reminding with you why the gospel actually is. You see, when ethnicity defines the gospel and we idolize the gospel, the problem isn't our sin, the problem is power. And when we idolize the gospel, sinners, we're not all sinners. The only people that sin are the people who have power. And the solution isn't Jesus dying for our sins. The solution is that Jesus gave up his power. They would quote verses like Philippians 2.17, which says, if you have any comfort from Christ, if any encouragement, if anything from his love, then be like Jesus who, gave, who made himself Nothing. So I am really worried that our idolization of race and ethnicity is actually redefining the gospel in those two ways, is that we either force people to come to, uh, come to our, uh, our cultural uh, barrier or become our cultural uh, follower, cultural stereotypes before we give them Jesus, just like what happened with Peter, or we change the gospel in order to fit our oppression. We need a better answer. We need a biblical answer. And interestingly enough, our text actually deals with that today um, r- racial wealth, city versus rural divisions. Cultural divisions weren't only an issue for us in Canada in 2023, they, are, they were an issue for the first generation of Christians as well. Look at our text again this morning as we look at uh, verse 11 all the way to verse 12, it says this, Therefore, remember that at one time the genti- that you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made by the flesh of hands remember that at one time you were separated from christ alienated from the commonwealth of israel and strangers to the covenants of promise having no hope and without god in the world the church in ephesus was primarily made up of gentile believers everyone should remember exactly how unlikely the first generation of church was because of the cultural divisions that it, that ensued. And nowhere did you see that more clearly than the division between Jew and Gentile. If you aren't familiar with those terms, Jews were uh, considered God's chosen people. Their story is the Old Testament, which I like to call the First Testament. And God singles out a man called Abraham, and from him he creates an entire culture Devoted who are devoted themselves to God. And on Mount Sinai, God gives them a bunch of commands that they are supposed to live by. And they acted like a barrier for that kept most non-Jewish people away. Gentiles on the every hand were everyone else who did not descend from Israel. And they would have seen themselves as a the, the the commandments and the law of Moses and all the stuff would have been created a cultural barrier between them and God. And there's four ways that we see it just in the text in those four, in the verse this morning. If you want to throw that verse 11 back up again. The first is that Paul re- reminds them that the Gentiles were called the uncircumcised. Paul says that they were... And what he means by that is that Paul says they were called uncircumcised by the Jewish people. What does it mean? It means that all the things that kept Jews and Gentiles apart were done on the outside. They were not things of any lasting spiritual value. It goes on to say that they were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, which means that Gentiles were not the chosen people and none of the Gentiles had received uh, chosen nation status in the same way that Israel did. They were strangers to the covenant of a promise. God no, no longer made no, they, God made no legally binding agreement with the Gentiles in the same way that he did the Jews. They had no hope in the eternity and they were without God. And over time, This created a deeply divided division on hostility on both sides between Jew and Gentile. I want you to look down at verse 14 real quick. There is a phrase there, I want you to throw up the picture of the temple. There is a phrase there called the dividing wall of hostility. And commentators believe that that is a reference to the temple of God, which you see in the picture ahead of me. Or behind me. Before Jesus, we would all gather to worship at the temple and the temple was clearly divided into different courts for certain people to be in. So you see that there is a section for the, there's the holy of holies which only the high priest would go in. There's the court of the uh, of Israel, there's the court of women, and then there's the court of the Gentiles, which would have been you and I. Okay? And what I want you to notice is that Every court is built on a different elevation. And at the lowest elevation is what was considered the court of the Gentiles. And from there, you could look up as a Gentile, as a, as a Canadian, as a Scotsman. You look up there and see the Holy of Holies. But you were never allowed to go into it. Between you and that Holy of Holies stood a four-foot-thick wall. And on it wrote a sign that said <clears throat> that if you cross this line, or so uh, it read, no foreigner may enter the enclosure around the temple. Anyone caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. Translation, if you cross this line, you'll be shot on sight. That was the message to outsiders. And the and Paul's words for us as 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 a as non-Jewish Christians would be this: remember who you once were. Remember your culture. Remember that this was the way things were. You see, most of the Ephesian Christians were Greeks and they had heard the Jewish insults. Before Jesus, we were culturally and racially divided. Jews and Greeks were deeply racist to each other. If you were a Jewish midwife, there were teachings going around that you were not to help a Gentile woman give birth because you're just creating more ungodly people. Other commentators make the note that there were some teachers during the first century that taught that Abraham stood at the gates of hell making sure that the uncircumcised went to hell and the circumcised uh, did. And I don't want to give you the impression that all that hatred and division one went right. The, The Romans didn't really like the Jews either. Plato said that anyone who wasn't a Greek was a barbarian and an enemy of the state. Everyone should be aware of how unlikely and how deeply divided the culture was at the time of the first church, and our church, our text this morning starts with uh, <clears throat> the, telling the Ephesians church to remember the way it used to be. Remember how? You, remember your old culture. Remember that you were an outsider. This is how God brought, started to break down the cultural division, division walls that Liz and I experienced at camp. You see, at camp, I was, I was. I was I was telling them about how much Jesus loved them, and I felt like I couldn't bust through it. I couldn't make any sense of what was going on. And then God reminded me of this passage where it says, remember that once you were an outsider of God, and that it's through Jesus that you came to faith. And I remember doing this, and this is what we did. This is how we handled this. We shared Elizabeth's testimony of brokenness and how there was a lot of hurt, a lot of assault, a lot of, A lot of brokenness in that family and how she found peace and healing in Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, the dividing wall, that barrier that we had in sharing the gospel went completely away. And the night that Liz shared her testimony was the night that five people came to faith in Jesus Christ. Because we we remember too that we were once alienated from God and we were out on the outside. So how, what's the answer? How did the early church overcome its racial and cultural divisions? Here's the cool thing, and it comes in verse 13, and I want you to catch this. It says this, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near. Let me say that again, because this is the key verse, and this is the verse where everything hangs on today. In Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near to the blood of Christ. And there's that, you, here's this really cool thing. That phrase, you were once far off but now that you are near, would actually be a common phrase that was said in the Jewish uh, vernacular in the time. Because what would happen is the Jews would say, we are near to God and the Gentiles are far away from God. And you know what is so cool about this is that this is a uh, this is a fulfillment of Isaiah chapter fifty-seven verse nineteen, which says this: "Peace, peace to those who are far, and those who are near," says the Lord, "and I will heal them." How are we healed? It's in the end of verse thirteen, by the blood of Jesus Christ. Okay. Here's what I want you to understand, and this is the main point that I want to drive home today as we we consider the text before us. The blood of Jesus Christ not only heals our sins, it heals our racial and cultural divisions. Jesus' blood not only heals our sins, it heals our divisions. It unites every single ethnic and cultural group by creating a new human race by every human race. How does it do that? I'm oh, sorry, <clears throat> let, me, let me continue here. It makes it possible to love one another, regardless of our background. We all have come to God the same way. We all come to God through the blood of Jesus. No one has any special favors because of their cultural or ethnic background. God's solution to ethnic and cultural division is to use Jesus' death on the cross to create a new human race out of every human race, Jesus' blood is the answer to all the divisions that we have culturally. I love the way the Galatians put it. You might be familiar with it. It says this: there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female. For all are in Christ Jesus. There is and <clears throat> for you are all one in Jesus Christ. Do you remember? Uh, months ago, when we were talking about the blessings of Christ, and we talked about how one of those blessings of Christ is that God would reveal to us the mystery of the of where everything is going. and do you remember what we said the mystery was? <sighs> oh guys, the mystery was is that he was going to unite all things under him. and here, in this passage, we see that what he was beginning to fill it that there is a great cultural and racial divide between Jew and Gentile, between Scotsman and Jew, between black and white, Japanese and Korean. And God comes and through the blood of Jesus Christ, we all are a new creation and we are all a new humanity. And he makes a new ethnic group, a new creation out of every ethnic group. God's solution to racism is to create a multi-ethnic people where Jesus is the end of all divisions between people. He alone brings a community of brotherhood and sisterhood among those who were formerly at odds with each other. In Christ, Germans and Jews can love each other. Blacks and whites can call each other brother. Japanese and Koreans can get along. City and rural can get along. Young and old can get along. This is the answer to the division that we see in our world today. Is that not true? Well, how does Jesus do it? Let me give you four quick thoughts on how Jesus' blood breaks down the barrier of hostility. The first is, comes in uh, verse 14. It says this, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Okay. What the text is saying is that Jesus alone is our peace. That peace isn't possible without people who are deeply culturally and racially divided if it weren't for Jesus. I don't know if you have that clip, but I I found this clip on One for Israel's site. It's a clip of Jews and Gentiles, or Palestinians, worshiping the Lord together. Oh. You're at a church, sir. You have, like, okay. Okay. My point is, is that, Jesus brought down the dividing wall of hostility in the temple. And there is a dividing wall of hostility in Israel right now, isn't there? A physical wall called the Gaza Strip that separates Palestinians from Jews. But we see that Jesus breaks down that barrier. Secondly, Jesus is the end of all religious and cultural divisions. Verse 15. He made peace by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in their ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. Jesus is the end of all the religious and cultural divisions between us. Now, here's the the problem with that. If you're a student of the Bible, you should see a glaring contradiction with that statement right away. Does anyone want to take a guess at what it is? Jesus said that He didn't actually come to abolish the law. In Matthew chapter five, verse 17, it says this, and this is Jesus speaking, "Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them but fulfill them." So that right there puts us at odds with Ephesians, because Ephesians tells us that He has come to abolish the law. So what's going on there? Anyone want to take a guess? Is the Bible contradicting each itself? No. no. Oh, you guys are so awesome. You're a great church. Like, The answer is this. is that Jesus came to fulfill all the moral demands of the law, but he abolished the, the, the Jewish ceremonial law. So in other words, the Ten Commandments still stand, but Jesus' work on the cross means things like ceremonial washing, Sabbath restrictions, circumcision, and Jewish dietary laws. All these things that formed a barrier between Canadians and uh, first century Jews are now gone. and they were made, And they were totally destroyed and wiped away by what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus is the end of the cultural divide between us. Thirdly, Jesus created a new human race. It says this, <clears throat> going on, it says, He divided the, he broke down the wall of hostility that he may create himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace. A new kind of human has emerged. Suddenly, I'm not a white Canadian and I'm just a Christian. And now I have more in common with my Japanese brothers and sisters than I would with any kind of British Columbian, Albertan, or Manitoban that didn't. I've become in one new race with everyone who bows the knee to Jesus. That means everyone. Whether you come from Indonesia or you come from Greenland or Manitoba or B.C., or you're rich or you're poor, or you're city or you're the country, or you're young or old, or you're from South America or, or Africa, the thing that defines you above everything else is that we are in Jesus. Amen. Okay. I want you to word, notice the word "new" for a second. Okay? The Greek word here doesn't mean something recently completed like I bought a new car that came off the manufacturing line. It means something that never ex- was in existence before. Never before did God have a people made up of every nation and every tribe and every tongue. Never before was it possible for one church to come together from various language groups and cultures. This passage is, is uh, as we read, is, is, a, is how you and I answer the question, how do we overcome the racial and cultural divisions in Canada? Okay? If you think about it for a minute, and you look go, look, go look to the right or left of you really quick. Okay. There is not one single reason why we should be here this morning. We all have different interests. Dan, for instance... Loves bull whips. And I'm really bad at that. Right? I'm a city guy. Some of you are country. Some of you like Vancouver Canucks. Some of you like the Calgary Flames. Do you understand what I mean? Is that there's all these different interests. And the one thing that brings us here every Sunday is the message of Jesus Christ. What other issue can do that? Or whether it's the power of Jesus. Do you know that from time to time, I get politicians who ask if they can come and share something from the pulpit. Do you want to know why politicians love asking for church to come to to church? Because there's nowhere where they could get this many people together to voluntarily gather on a Sunday. Except for a bunch of people whose commonality is the cross. I want to stress this very clearly. The cross unites all races by creating a new human race out of every ethnic race. From day one, the Gentile church has been a multicultural church. There was no such thing as a predominantly ethnic church, whether that was black or white or Asian. The the way that the first church was, it was all international and all Multicultural. Look at Acts chapter 13, verse 1 for me, if you have it on screen. And it says this. Now, there was the church in Antioch, and there was prophets and teachers. And there was Barnabas, Simon, who was from Niger, Lucius from Cyrene, Mahin, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. If you recall our series on Acts, I told you what about the church in Antioch that the church in Antioch was the first powerhouse missionary church that drove the gospel even before the church of Ephesus did. And what we see here is a multinational church. You have Barnabas, which is Jewish, and he comes from Cyprus, from the tribe of Levi, and he would have known the Jewish laws and would have been taught from childhood not to hang out with the Romans. Then we have Simon of Niger, and since Niger means black, many commentators have suggested he is a man from Africa. Lucius is a Latin name. Mahenan may have been the adopted brother of Herod, the one that killed and beheaded Jesus, or not Jesus, John. And of course, we all know the Apostle Paul. The point is that the church was international from its beginning. Don't ever think that the church belongs to one race. Jesus belongs as much to Africa as he does to Europe and Asia. And Jesus was born in the part of the world that touches Africa and Asia and Europe. Jesus is the answer to the unity. Don't ever say that following Jesus is a white man's religion or a black man's religion it's a world religion because Jesus belongs to the entire world. A quote from Billy Graham. And so here's what I'm going to say about this. I know that if a church is located, if a local church is located in a part of the world where there is only one ethnic group, then that's what the church is made up of. But if a local church was placed in a part of the world where there are numerous ethnic groups living next door to each other. A church should try its hardest to be multicultural. Or sorry, it should be multi-ethnic. Uh, because having a church made up of one ethnicity tends to send the wrong signal. It signals that the barriers between people groups remain and that the cultural identity is greater than our unity in Christ. And so for a church that is located in a very diverse place, I would say that it must reflect the demographics around them. Just a a, a really uh, pointed example of this. The church we were at previously was about 600 people. And the average age of the church was 65. In a neighborhood where the average age of a family was 35. Meaning this, is that the church was not reaching its immediate neighborhood. People were driving in from all corners of the city to go to the church, but the immediate neighborhood, the catchment area of the church, what the church had, wasn't doing a great job of reaching out. I got to see a really cool example of this uh, many, many years ago, I went to a church that had, uh, I visited a church that had over 26 pastors, if you can believe it or not, and over 15 of them were language pastors, meaning this, is that you would go to the church, and you would go to the front door, you would open up the door, and the very first thing that you would do is you would go to the information desk. And if you didn't speak any English at all, you asked for a headset. And they gave you a headset in the language that you, that you wanted. And then you would go and sit in the service. And then what would happen is that there would be a translator. There would be about 15 translators up in a booth that would translate the service for you. So you could go and see the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, and then this is the cool part. You want to know what the cool part is? The cool part is is that after the service was finished, they would have a potluck, and then they, as a language group, so all the Koreans got together, all the Japanese got together, all the Punjabs got together, and everyone got together. But what was so cool is they would come to the service. And hear the gospel in their own language. And it was a multi-generational church. You know what was cool about that? What I learned later is it was one of only two churches. From Vancouver all the way down to California that did that. And it was able to reach so many people for the good news of Jesus Christ. Okay? <laughs> Lastly, Jesus breaks down the cultural divide by reconciling this new humanity to God. It says this in verse uh, 16, And that he might reconcile us to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the what? Hostility. The hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to you who are near. For through him we have access in one spirit to the Father. What I love about this passage is that it speaks of the work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus has brought us back to God. God the Father has received us, and the Holy Spirit has made access to God a possibility. Hence, whatever hostility once existed between different ethnic groups is killed by the power of Jesus Christ. That hostility has been put to death, and that, hostility that and with that hostility, We are one new nation and one body in Christ. The only people that we are one in Jesus Christ. As we get ready for communion, I want you to, to imagine how hard it would have been for a first century Jewish convert to Christianity to have fellowship with a Gentile. Imagine for a minute a Jewish convert walked over to your house here in Ghost Pine and for, the first, for the first time in his life. And as he walked up to his door, he noticed a carcass of a pig hanging. You're getting ready for the church uh, potluck. He would be shocked and appalled. And, it would put, and he would try his best not to show his discomfort. As he entered your home, he notices that you have a son the same age as his daughter. And he starts wondering, what if this Gentile man falls in love with his daughter? And he gets a little bit more dis- discomfort with that. It's a Saturday, and you've been working all, all day at hard to get the harvest in. And he's trying his best not to judge you. And just when he's filled with more disgust, you say to him, let's eat. And then he brings out the cup and pours wine in it. And then he brings out the bread and breaks it. And, it hand, and, he, and he hands it to you and says, this is the body of Christ. And this is the cup of the new covenant poured out in my blood. Suddenly, all judgment fades. The dividing wall of hostility crumbles. Jesus is greater than any ethnic or cultural divide that we have with each other. And as uh, and that's why friends we celebrate communion. I'm going to ask the helpers to come up now. Is so that communion represents to us the thing that unites us to God and each other? Is the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And that's important to know because there are many ways that we could be divided, divided by sports, our political views, our COVID, our age, our race. But in Jesus, all barriers are erased. Uh.